All right, good morning. If you all could take a seat. Like Trey mentioned at the beginning of the service, my name is Danny, and I have the pleasure of serving as one of the leaders here at the church, and really excited to be able to talk with you about the message this morning. And if you would open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3, whether you have a physical Bible, whether you have a Bible on your phone, um, if you do not, it's okay. We will have the verses on the screen here this morning. Now, as you're opening your Bibles up, I want to kind of take you back to a time. Take you back to March, April, about 2020. Does anyone remember what was going on then? Yeah, okay, we were locked down for COVID, (laughs) slowed the spread, 15 days became 30, but man, did we have a lot of free time. I don't know about you, but we just couldn't go out hardly anywhere, eat hardly anywhere, see hardly anyone except the people in our homes. And so with this free time, we had a lot of stuff that we could fill it with. So I know my wife, along with some women, got into plants and gardening and all that stuff. I know my uncle took his grandsons to Home Depot. I like literally heard my aunt would be like, you're going out again to Home Depot to pick up this? But they had all this free time. Now for me, in my free time, I decided to get a little more into cooking. So my wife is still the the main cook in her home, but every once in a while, I wanted to be able to kind of improve my food game. So as someone who's really into researching things, like I am all up in it. If I get into something, I'm getting into it. So I decided I am going to research recipes online. I'm going to watch people on Food Network, all sorts of things. And I'm like watching this, and I'm going like, what makes Bobby Flay so good at spices? Or, man, how did Jet Tila cook all that? If you don't know who those are, those are cooks, by the way. But I'm, I'm researching this, and, and the big idea I was trying to figure out was, what is their secret? Like, what makes them so good at what they do? And really, this can apply for everywhere in life, right? Well, that we want to kind of figure out you know, why is someone so good at this, and and how can I kind of emulate this and implement it into whatever I'm passionate about or whatever I'm doing? Now, in this series, The Good Life, we've been looking at churches in the first century, and one of the things that I want us to look at is the church this morning, because here's the thing. There's seven churches that are listed that we've been walking through, and only two of them have anything bad said against them. The rest of five, it was like, okay, you're doing this good, but man, yeah, kind of stink of this. You need to work on it. But, but Philadelphia, which is where we're going to learn this morning, had nothing that was said against it. It was only, hey, you guys are doing this well. Keep it up. So what's, what's Philadelphia's secret? And that's what I want to kind of explore this morning and want we, us to explore today. So the, the way we're going to do that is briefly just get an overview of what the Church of Philadelphia was going through, like kind of their context very briefly, and then we'll actually dive deep in the passage that we're about to read. But first, okay, so Philadelphia, let me just give you a snapshot real quick of what they are, okay? It is not Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, okay? So get cheesesteaks out of your head, get the Philadelphia Eagles out of your head, get the song in West Philadelphia, born and raised, get that out of your head, okay? Get it out. Too late, okay, okay. (laughs) 
No, no, no. It's, it's, it was a city in the first century. So let me just give you a quick snapshot of what was going on. So they were the youngest city of all the seven churches we've been studying. They were about 30 miles or so away from Sardis, the last one we learned. They were considered a missionary city. And what this meant was that Greek culture, language, those ways would kind of flow into this region. Okay, so very into the culture of what was going on at the time. They also had, also had fertile ground for wine. They were really into their grapes and making wine out of it. They also had earthquakes going on. There was one earthquake, about AD 17, that destroyed the city. So really, as we think about, not, if we think of a modern-day example, this is just me kind of spitballing here. But as I think of modern-day example in the U.S., I don't think of Philadelphia. I think more of kind of like a San Francisco. So San Francisco, wine country, right? People go there, and they're like, I'm getting my Pinots, I'm getting my Morlos. Kind of, you know, that's what they're going there for. They're also very influential with, with current customs, right? Because Meta, the company that owns Facebook and, and Instagram, you have Google, you have um, Apple, all have their headquarters in the San Francisco area. And like there was an earthquake that really wrecked Philadelphia, in 1900s, early 1900s, there was a great earthquake of San Francisco that 80% of the city actually got wrecked by. So anyway, so that's kind of the, the picture of the city we're talking about. But really, if you think of what we learned today, I mean, well, there's so much we too can learn, okay? So I don't, th this is applicable for us too, and we're going to see how it is. And what we really want to study is how was this church of Philadelphia so faithful to this mission, to their culture? And how can we be faithful to the mission of our culture too? So with that said, if you don't have your Bibles already, I'm going to read Revelation 3, and I'm going to warn you, I'm going to read the whole thing through, and then we're going to walk it through, okay? So starting in verse 7, it says this, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one will open. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word, have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan, who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you because you have kept my word about patient endurance. I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I'm coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar of the temple of God. Never shall he go out of it and I will write on him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Okay, that's a lot, but we'll, we'll break it down. <laughs> 
but really, okay, so this is what I'm going to propose as we walk through this. Here's the big idea of why they were able to be on mission so faithfully. Ready? Because they understood that the good life has an, an eternal perspective that informs your missional directive. Or to put it another way, as you think about heavenly things, it will direct how you interact with earthly things. Okay? So, so that's really what they had in mind. That's what they were able to do. That was how they were able to live out this good life, that eternal perspective informing their missional directive. And how, 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 is that, how we're going to see that is in four ways. One, it informs who the mission is about. It informs how the mission is accomplished, what forces are against the mission, and then also why we can be assured that this mission will work. So understanding that first, let's walk through these. Who is the mission about? Back in verse 7, it talks about the Holy One, the True One, the one who has this key of David. So who is this person? So I'm going to tell you, it's a very Sunday school answer, very churchy answer. And that person is Jesus, okay? <laughs> it's Jesus. And so here how he's the Holy One, True One, who has the keys. So Holy One, Jesus never sinned. He was perfect. When he came on earth, he was able to do what you and I could never do, which is the brokenness of the, of the world was not able to stop him from being perfectly obedient to God. He was the true one. He, he was who he said he was. So when he walked on earth, Jesus was telling people, not only am I living this out perfectly, I am the perfect God. I am not only fully man, I'm fully God. That I've lived from eternity past, <laughs> and I will live eternally. He even was telling people that he would go on a cross, die for our sins, to rescue us from our eternal life. He would raise from the grave, he would ascend back into heaven and you know what? Not only did he say he was going to do it, he did it. He didn't just talk the talk, he walked the walk. That's who Jesus was. He's also the one who has the keys of David. So keys, I don't know about you, you have keys here. Does anyone have keys like this? I say that because you can walk by a car now, and it can like just start on its own. I'm not that cool. I have to actually use these to do stuff. So I kid you not, I hear laughter, but no, no lie. Literally, I was walking in the neighborhood the other day. I just wave to people all the time, even though I don't know them. And I'm walking, and I wave to a blank car because I think someone's in there starting it. But no, no, like actually that happens. But anyway, I'll sign it, sign it. My point is keys open doors, right? It opens a car door. It opens the doors to our homes. And so this key of David is this idea that Jesus has the keys to the line of David. So David was a king in Israel, but then it was also prophesied that someone would live to be on the throne of David forever, and that was Jesus. So he has reigning and ruling as not only the king of Israel, 
but as the God-man, he has reign and rule over all things, including you and me. So our king is the one who gives us this mission, but he also is the mission. So when we're talking about mission as a church, I don't want us to forget what it's about, and it's about Jesus. That's why we say we're people helping people know and follow Jesus. We want people to trust in this perfect God-man who went and did what he said, died on the cross, that he's the one who gives eternal life. So this eternal perspective shapes our eternal message that we give to people. Now before we continue on to talk about how you go about this mission, let me ask you, do you even know Jesus? Are you even living for him? Are you playing the church game? You come in every week because it's what you're supposed to do? Are you actually giving him, his, giving him your life and allowing him to reign as king and lord over it. Now, if you are, awesome. If you're not, please, we'll be at the guest services table after the service. We would love to speak to you. And if you're not, this is what our, what we're, what our mission's about. We're, we're, we're trying to reach you for Jesus. And for those who are Christians in the room, let's go on that mission and let's continue on this conversation. And so the second thing is, how is the mission accomplished? This is uh, in verse 8. So first thing you'll see is it says, I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door. So we're going to stop here for a second. So I don't know if you've been around the church world enough to hear this concept of open doors but let me just give you a snapshot of what that means. So open doors are basically, when you see Paul, I mean, this is Jesus talking, but if you see the apostle Paul writing about it elsewhere, it's often talked about these opportunities for, for mission and ministry. That's all it is. So if there's an open door in front of you, right, you walk through it. And if it's a closed door, it's closed. You can't walk in it. If it's locked, you can't get in, right? So that's the idea of open doors, is, is what are the opportunities that are in front of you to reach people with this eternal message of Jesus? Now, this is important because I don't know about you, but in some circles, you know, I work for a missions organization um, for my full-time job, and in some circles, including that honestly, you can see something where the mission and these open doors that we are looking for to see where God could use us has to be out of the city, out of this country even sometimes. We have to go overseas and give our life for Africa or give our life for Australia or give something, do, go somewhere crazy in order to give your life to the mission of God. Now, obviously, we need those people to do that, obviously, because I wouldn't be trying to help them in my normal eight-to-five job if I didn't believe that. But we also need people here in this community that would see where they go every day as not just a place to make a paycheck, but as an opportunity for ministry and mission. So if you're a doctor in Medical City, 
yeah, make a bunch of money and give to our church, give to missions organizations, yes and amen, but also go into those places and see it as a mission field. There's people that are doctors that don't know Jesus. And let me tell you something else. Where you are at, where the doors are open for opportunity for you, is not the same places and people that are the opportunities for me. They're only for, God is placing unique opportunities, unique opportunities for mission for you. So for example, Pastor Trey is not gonna go into the school system like one of our educators and minister to the faculty and the students like you will. Pastor Micah is not going to hop on a plane to go to Ohio to visit your unbelieving relatives that don't know about Jesus. Not only does that not make sense for him and his family, that'd be kind of weird, right? If he like, was like, hey, Grandma, here's my wife, here's my kids. Oh, here's my pastor. He's going to talk about Jesus at the dinner table later. No, the opportunities are in front for you. Now, for some of you, you might not like that because you don't like where you work. You don't like the relationships maybe even in your life. Now, here's the thing. There are times where God will open up new opportunities for you. I will tell you, there have been seasons in my life where I step into new open doors and do a new thing. There's nothing wrong with that. But you know what? Sometimes God has to tell me that the grass isn't always greener on the other missional side, right? That maybe where God wants me is where he's planted me and that I should be faithful with the opportunities he's given me for mission. So are you being faithful to that? Are you taking the places you work, the people you interact with, and are you telling them about the eternal trust that you have in Jesus? So that's how it informs our mission. We look for these open doors, but we also don't do it on our own. We need help to do this. And that's why it also mentions that we have little power, and they had little power. Because there was this recognition with this church in Philadelphia that we need to, which is we have little power, but God has big power. That our strength may be weak, but in that weakness, God can make us strong. So we need to rest on the Holy Spirit. We need that person. The Holy Spirit is God. We need him to come into our life and work in and through us. And I don't know about you, but that's encouraging because I can feel sometimes like I am weak. Honestly, this morning, coming up here, I felt it. I was nervous. I had a migraine a little bit because I just felt that in my strength, this was going to be something that's going to be pretty weighty. But you know what God kept reminding me? It's not you. I'm going to work through you, and I'm going to work in their hearts. And we need more of that when we talk to people. 
Because when I talk to people about this idea of being on mission, telling people about Jesus, people just don't feel like they can do it. They're like, I'm not a pastor. I do not know the Bible like Trey or Lee. But the reality is the same Holy Spirit that is in Trey, that is in Lee, lives in you. The same Holy Spirit that's, that speaks these words of the Bible, the same Holy Spirit that helped the church in Philadelphia, the same Holy Spirit that did all these miraculous works through the early church we see in the books of Acts, the same Holy Spirit that rose Jesus Christ from the dead lives within us. So real practical way is to let him lead and guide you. And just look for these doors of opportunity and allow the Spirit to, to fill you in on it. So I'll give an example real quick. One time I was getting my car fixed, and I had to go to the dealer because the car sometimes it can't be done at a local mechanic. I had to go there. And when I was there, it was taking forever. And I had somewhere I had to go right after this. I was told it would take this amount of time. It was like an hour past that other time. So at first, I'll be honest, in my flesh, in my sinful nature, I was kind of upset. I got somewhere to go. What's taking so long? Come on. But I felt the Holy Spirit tell me, what if you reply and respond differently to this? What if someone that you interact with and talk with saw you as a Christian freaking out about it? Or what if you as a Christian responded differently than they're used to? So I was like, okay. <laughs> so I talked to the guy that was working on the car, and the first thing off, he's like, I'm just so sorry. I, uh, it's been crazy. There was this whole situation where this person got in a wreck, and... Um, they have this insurance issue, and he's just kind of telling me how hard of a day he was having. Which first I'm like, thank goodness I didn't say anything. <laughs> and second off, I felt the Holy Spirit say, what an open door. Can I pray for you? Ask the guy if I can pray for you. So I prayed for you, him. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where was this yesterday? My day was even worse yesterday. <laughs> That's what he said to me. And I'm like, okay. So I pray for him, and afterwards, I can see he's holding back tears. Now, I, I honestly, after that, you know, we had to kind of do our thing. I didn't go, okay, now here's the gospel. This is what Jesus did. There are moments you got to do that, but I just let that be a moment that I, I prayed for him. I don't know how God's going to use it, but if I wasn't willing to listen to the Spirit in that moment, I would have missed that open door. I would have been in my own flesh angry <laughs> and I would have been a burden and not a blessing. So, okay, as we listen to the Spirit and we ask Him to help us with these open doors, we also got to know, okay, well, how do we do this? Is it just prayer? How do we live this out? And really, it's this idea of keeping the word, in verse 8, and not denying the name. 
So obviously in that moment I just shared, <laughs> it, it's, it's being loving. That's keeping the word. That's being obedient to God. That's looking different than the world. But then deny, not denying my name is also the idea that, yeah, sometimes you do have to speak. You do have to tell them about the truth that is in you. Because I'll be honest, what our culture believes is different than what they believe. We trust in Jesus. The God of this age is trusting in yourself. And you got to tell people why trusting in Jesus is so compelling. And you got to do it in a way that keeps the word, that you're not angry like some of these Christians you might see on social media that post things that are angry rants but aren't engaging people. But what if you step in and do it lovingly, speaking truth in relationship with them? That's how we live this out. Now, if we do this mission, we're looking at just the normal, everyday opportunities in your workplace, in your homes with your family and your kids, in your neighborhoods, being led by the Spirit, and trying to be proclaiming Jesus both by what we do and by what we say, there will sometimes be forces that are against the mission. So how does this eternal perspective inform how and what forces are against the mission. Let's look back in the passage. In verse 9, it mentions that, that Jesus will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. So what's he talking about? This synagogue of Satan. So, so back then, there were Jewish people that did trust in Jesus. So Jesus came from the Jewish line, like we talked about earlier, and he was their Messiah. The message was first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. And some Jews believed in Jesus, and they trusted in Jesus. Some didn't. And they didn't just, like, passively not like Jesus. They actively didn't like Jesus. So if you even look at the Apostle Paul's life, before he was Paul, he was a Saul, a Jewish man literally killing Christians. This is the world that they were in, that they were going to be persecuted. And Trey talks about this all the time, but it's so important for us to realize that Satan is real, and he does not want the mission of Jesus to go forward. That we're not just in a culture that rejects Jesus into nothingness. But there is a dark force out there against Jesus. And I don't think we realize that. But it's everywhere. I mean, I go on YouTube and you watch something about lifestyle living and someone will have crystals and talk about astrology. That's spiritual. It's not just fake there's something at work there, and it's not of God. Or you go on a podcast, I do this a lot, and a lot of famous celebrities, I don't know if you know about this, are really into transcendental meditation. I don't know if you realize, that's from Eastern religions that do not claim Jesus. So there is a spiritual battle out there that our culture just thinks is harmless, 
but we know that there's something behind it. And we need to know that when we decide as people of God to go into the places we work, that there is spiritual forces at play and we are pushing back darkness with the light of Jesus. Now, how can we do that? How can we do all these things? How can we give the message of Jesus, the eternal message of Jesus, empowered by the Spirit, looking for these opportunities, even if opposition's coming our way? Well, because the eternal perspective is why we are assured of this mission. Let me read the final kind of parts that I noticed here in the passage. Jesus tells them that you have kept my word about patient endurance. I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. So there's a lot of thoughts about what this hour of trial is in this passage. There are some people that that when God, it says that God keeps them from the hour of trial, they believe, some, that, that God will rapture them or take them up before that hour of trial happens. So if you have ever seen any apocalyptic movies, like Left Behind, Kirk Cameron edition, or Nicolas Cage edition, Kirk Cameron from Growing Pains, Nick Cage from all sorts of Nick Cagey movies, right? Not, not very well done, no offense. Not the best written, kind of poorly acted. But that's kind of those, that thought process. There's some that think that the hour of trial that, that he keeps them in, he'll keep them in the world during this last kind of end-time tribulation, but he'll safeguard them somehow. Sometimes we talk about these secondary issues like this, and we we can talk all sorts of things and argue and debate, but we miss the big idea. And the big idea is this, that Jesus is coming back. That's the big idea. That we are assured of the mission we have because one day, yes, Jesus went on earth as a baby Christmas, right? Easter, he died on the cross, rose from the grave. He's reigning around heaven, but one day he's coming back again on earth, making all things new. And we can have hope because, yes, there's external forces, but we know the end. Jesus wins. Spoiler alert. Jesus will have the ultimate victory over sin, over death. So let me ask you, are you living as if you believe Jesus is coming back? Because I'll I'll be honest, it will give you a sense of urgency to what you have ahead of you. And I'm just going to talk to young people in the room. It's a lot harder sometimes for young people to realize this. I was in a small group one time, and I was actually leading a group in my mid-20s of people who were at least 20 or 30 years older than me. And I remember one time I was talking about this concept of Jesus coming back. And I was like, man, it's hard for me to wrestle with this all the time. 
You know, I, I think because it seems sometimes my, my world's so ahead of me, I got this going for me, these hopes, these dreams, it's hard for me to remember that one day I may die either on earth or Jesus come back. One of those two things will happen. And the group who were significant older than me kind of laughed because they were like, I experience this all the time. I have this health issue that firmly reminds me of my mortality. I have this relational strife with this family member where I'm like, Jesus, come back. I'm ready. I don't want to go through this anymore. So if you're young, I will remind you, you will one day stand before Jesus, either when you die or when he comes back. And tomorrow is not promised. It's not. So are you living like that? Because it gives you a sense of urgency. But not only is Jesus coming back, he's bringing a new heaven and a new earth. In this passage, he mentions that there is a city of my God, this new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven in my own new name. We do this eternal mission because there's hope. There's hope that the suffering you might be going through, the relational issues I just mentioned, will not be forever that there will be a time where he makes all things new. Tears no more. He will bring a kingdom into the world where Jesus reigns and rules both in heaven and on earth. And it actually says later in this book of Revelation, that's what we're reading, if you were to read on, it says that God is so reigning in this kingdom that his glory radiates in all the earth. That's how much he will reign and rule. So let me ask you, as you think about your mission, you think about this, who do you want to be invited into this new heaven, new earth? Is there someone that you love and care about that can participate in this hope of Jesus with you? Now, I don't know if you follow the news, but recently there's been somewhat of something of a revival going on in, 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 a, in the state of Kentucky. I don't know if you've seen this in the news. If you haven't, I'll just give you a picture of what's going on. It's, it's a prayer service that started out of just 11 and 15, something like that, people just seeing confessing sin, seeing how they can pray into these things. And all of a sudden, like just packed room of students worshiping, crying out to God, asking for the Lord for his help. I mean, there is a revival that's happening here that, no lie, I read about on NBC News. This isn't just a Christian news story. It's a national news story, what's going on here. 
But here's the thing. We can see this and see a great work of God going on, and it can feel like it's there. But here's the thing that the eternal perspective that the Church of Philadelphia realized. They realized they saw other churches doing other things, but they realized that the move of God could happen there too. And for us, it can happen here too. And what if we had that perspective about the community that we were in and the church here that God is building? What if when we drove down 192 and had another moment of lament of all the new homes being built and going, oh my gosh, how is this going to slow down my morning commute? What if we took that and turned it into praise? I don't think there's a mistake that our church's name is Harvest. That our church can see those homes being built and realized that there is a harvest of people moving into our community. There is a harvest of people coming from all over the country, from the northeast, from the west, that are pouring into our city and our places. There are people even from all over the world in different countries pouring into our city. There is a real opportunity that we have here to reach the people far from Jesus. The harvest is plentiful, but Lord, we need to be the workers of that harvest. So I want to invite you this morning to be part of that mission. When we talk about as a church that we want it to be as hard as possible for Central Florida to go to hell, that happens in this building, that happens in this place. When we put a chair down in this, these, these rooms, people's butts are in those chairs and they're raising their hands for Jesus. But they're also being invited for, for, for Jesus in the places, in the schools, the workplaces they're coming to. It's all connected. It's all part of this mission we're a part of. Are you willing to take that step, to have this temporary perspective of living for the now, looking after you out the window and say, I'm going to live for Jesus in his mission. And that's, in some ways, what we proclaim even as we take communion, because we're about to take communion, and we're proclaiming that we can trust in Jesus' work for our own life, that he died for our sin in our place, made us new people. But we also hold it and long for those we know to be able to partake in the same way. So if you are part of the mission, if you are a person that calls yourself a, a Christ follower, I invite you to take communion during this time. We'll take some moments of reflection, then you can just take it in your own seat as you feel led. But if you're not a Christian, I would rather you just not take it, just flat out. I don't want you to do some sort of ritual you don't believe. 
but instead allow this to be an opportunity for you to contemplate if you want to sign up for this mission of following Jesus and then asking others to follow him too. So wherever we're at, let's take some time to pray the Lord this morning. Let's ask for his help. Let's ask for his guidance. Let's take our missional directive from Jesus who is the king of all things. He's making things new and one day will make new all things when he comes back. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We need you. And Lord, as people grab elements in the back, Lord, I pray that you would remind them of what you've already done for them. That as they take it from, to their seats and as they reflect that they would be reminded of what the good news meant for them. And if there's someone here that doesn't know you, Lord, put on their hearts the reminder of who Jesus is and what you've done for them. But Lord, I also pray that you would empower us by your spirit to go out into the open doors that we have for ministry and that you would use us and guide us and lead us every step of the way. Lord, we need you for salvation. We need you for strength. And we need you to accomplish anything and all things in our life. Thank you, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.